Welcome to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett. In this series, we want to demystify the worlds of finance and investment. We're going to be speaking with industry experts, strategists, fund managers, and financial planners. We'll hear from investment professionals who are at the top of their game, but also entrepreneurs who need investment, technology specialists disrupting the world of investment, and good old-fashioned active allocators of capital. Who is leading the charge? Who is disrupting? Who is being disrupted? How does the frenetic political and economic backdrop feed into the investment process and really understand why we invest in the first place? There are certain words in the English language that kind of appear without anyone really noticing. And then they start being used all the time. Blockchain was one of those for me. Blockchain appeared in sort of 2016 or 2017 and all of a sudden everyone said, well, blockchain's going to change this and blockchain's going to disrupt that. My guest this week is Rick Stockley. He was head of blockchain at IBM in the UK, and he's now a strategy and business development lead on a platform developed by IBM called TradeLens. TradeLens uses blockchain technology to connect supply chains. Now, I'm not going to be able to do it justice, so I'll leave Rick to describe it. But this discussion is really interesting because we discuss the broader uses of blockchain and some of its potential uses. Um, we also discuss the process of developing a platform like TradeLens, and it's really interesting. So without further ado, this is the Why Invest podcast. The information provided during this podcast does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security. Rick Stockley, welcome to the podcast. Rick, I'm going to start by asking you, what is TradeLens? Thanks for having me on the show, Doug. Good to be here. Um, TradeLens. TradeLens is a, a blockchain network that's being created specifically for maritime logistics. So if you think of the world of maritime logistics, you're getting a container from point A, maybe in the Far East, to point B, maybe in Europe. And, and bearing in mind, $14 trillion of goods are uh, uh, transacted in a container every year, 14 trillion. So it's a big, big axiom on which the global economy works. That's a, actually an enormously complicated transaction. There are so many different players involved. There are obviously the people on each end of the trade, you've got the buyer and the seller. Then the enablers and the people actually move that container. So you've got the shipping lines, you've got the ports, the terminals, customs, maybe freight forwarders, maybe customs brokers. They all need to share information in a different, in, in a specific way, in order to accomplish what they're doing. You know, customs brokers need a certain set of documents in order to do a customs declaration, um, that sort of thing. Those information exchanges are very, very inefficient. It's very, very point to point. I've got a piece of information; I share it with you. And us as technologists, I work for IBM. Um, we felt that there was a way that technology could be applied to that problem to create um, a more frictionless exchange of information. And that's what TradeLens does. It's an industry solution where information exchanges that relate to a container journey. So think about um, what happens to that container, and then you think about the documents associated with that container, commercial invoices, bills of lading. How can we collaborate and share that information in a more friction-free way? I see. And so who's the end user? I mean, who are you, who are you selling this platform to? 
Yeah, as a platform, it's got broad, uh, it's got broad appeal across the ecosystem, and that's one of the uh, one of the, the tenets of the of, of the platform. Um, each of those participants, the traders themselves, the carriers, the ports, the terminals, um, they can all use that. If they will need information in order to fulfill the service that they're providing, we are creating an infrastructure behind that that enables them to do their jobs more efficiently, quicker, with lower risk. Where this all began was, um, so I work with IBM, and um, we are advocates of using technology to make enterprises more efficient, run faster, drive more revenue, lower costs. We work with our uh, partners in that. One of our partners is Maersk, the, the large shipping The shipping, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of years ago, we were looking at their ecosystem and saw just that, these information exchanges that we felt were very inefficient. Inefficient in what sense? So Maersk would be interacting with what uh, a significant number of counterparties and not having that data organized? So yeah, okay. a- a- absolutely. So they're a very central role, being a ship that carries the container. They're, they're, they're pretty pivotal in the, in the supply chain and pretty important. But they have to face off with all the terminals, with all the with all their uh, people that buy their services, etc. So they're exposed to that friction as well. Now, um, us at IBM, our uh, our typical way of going to business is we go to a uh, to our enterprise clients and we build or um, or exploit technology for the benefit of that participant, uh, that enterprise. What we've done with TradeLens is um, we've taken an industry approach because if we were to build a solution that connected the maritime uh, supply chain in the way we've done it with TradeLens, if we'd done that for the benefit of just one participant, uh, two things would have happened. Firstly, um, Trying to get everyone connected for the benefit of one participant would be a monumental mm-hmm. task. Um, uh, secondly, we would be leaving a lot of value on the table uh, because those participants, those other participants that need to be involved in the network, um, can also benefit too. So the decision was made. Um, IBM and Maersk would collaborate on this. We are 50-50 partners in the development of this platform, uh, and we've created it for the industry. That friction that we see in the industry is an industry problem felt by ports, terminals, carriers, mm. etc. And, and and we're looking to build infrastructure that helps the entire industry. In that. Okay. So what I presume you have a, a, a good degree of buy-in from Maersk itself. Where do you think, where's the limiting um, factor? What's what's hard part of, of that supply chain sort of coordination? Yeah, it's... Any, any, is it all hard? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Any platform, whether it's a blockchain platform like TradeLens or, uh, or, or, or not, um, has value along two axes. You've got functional value. So does the platform actually deliver something to uh, the end user that they find useful? Um, the, other, the other axiom of benefit or, or for platforms is the size of the ecosystem that's engaged. So think about telephones. Easy example. Um, two telephones, limited use. Because the utility is, I can call that other one person, and they can call me. But that's the limit of that of that platform's functionality or that that ecosystem's utility. Um, if, of course, we have millions of people each with their own telephone, that utility to that single user single user becomes much more. Same thing with this platform that we've created, TradeLens. 
So the challenges that we have is that is building in tandem both the, the functional capability and making sure that we're delivering something that's valuable to a broad set of participants and also growing that network as well. And we're doing that at, at, at the same time. We've been live for about a year and a half now. So this isn't, uh, this isn't blockchain slideware that we're just dreaming up. This is something that's out there in the wild. Um, uh, very much we've got commitment from five of the top six carriers, which covers about 60% of global trade. So what's a, a, so a network effect? I think that's is that the technical term for the for for spreading it far and wide. Correct. That, um, that the utility has a has a broad appeal across the industry. So um, what do the Maersk's competitors? What are Maersk's competitors' other options if they didn't use TradeLens? There, there. Think of the participants in TradeLens in sort of uh, two two areas. There are net net providers of data and net consumers of data. So the carriers would fall into the, into the former. So they are, uh, they have the ships, uh, they, try, they, they move the containers across the globe, um, they produce and they're originators of, um, of a number of key documents. We see them as, as seeding the network with uh, valuable data that is useful for the other participants. They do benefit in terms of being able to have a, a greater backbone of, of visibility on what they're doing and use it for their internal systems. We've definitely seen that with Mernsk. But their participation is a provider of data for the benefit of the, of the rest of the network. I see. And so and you mentioned blockchain um, three times. Maybe you could define what blockchain is and how it applies to Trajan's. Blockchain uh, has received a lot of attention in the last couple of years. Some of it uh, warranted. I think I firmly believe that it is a, a transformational technology. However, often the hype has outstripped its potential. It is, in essence, a databasing technology. It allows information data to be uh, distributed and shared in a permissioned way. If you want to go back to the real origins, it solves the double spend problem. So, what's the double spend problem? So, if I've got five pounds mm-hmm. in a, in a five pound note, and I give it to you, we don't have a double spend problem because I had that five pound note. I now give it to you. You have it. I don't have it. We're all very clear on who owns what. In the digital world, replication of data has a very low distribution cost. If I have a piece of data in a in a machine and I send it by email to you, there's no way that you know if I still have that information or not. We may have replicated it, and we may have transferred it. It's, there's a double spend problem. So the original application of blockchain, Bitcoin being its first application, was in a, was in a, a currency form, trying to solve that double spend problem that you don't have with physical currency in a digital sense. So I can have one Bitcoin and I can transfer it to you and we can both have trust that that Bitcoin is now not with me, it's now with you. However, it was very, very easy to see that that first application in cryptocurrencies was actually applicable to a vast uh, set of use cases where that where the provenance and immutability of information is important. So if you think about a supply chain, I have very good records and I have very good understanding of my interactions with my suppliers and with my customers. You know, one step up, one step down. But in a supply chain, there might be 20 participants in the transformation of a product from its raw state into a consumable good. There might be elements that are really, really important to the end of the supply chain that are lost 
because that visibility is disrupted each time it transfers from one participant mm-hmm. to the other. So if you think about one of the other applications that IBM spends a lot of time on is, is in the food industry. So it's important to consumers that they know that their food is safe. Mm-hmm. When there's a, uh, a recall on food, how do I, as a retailer, make sure that I'm taking the right stuff off the shelves and also that I'm sourcing where that contamination came from in, as quickly as possible? Now, because of all the transformational processes and all the hands and organizations that, that are involved in that supply chain, it's really, really difficult. Mm. With blockchain, blockchain being a, an infrastructure that can allow the permission sharing of information, so it can allow data to be passed through and uh, that visibility to be, uh, to be aligned across the supply chain so that your end participant can quickly and accurately see mm-hmm elements of visibility right to the source. How do the regulators look at blockchain? I mean, how far up the curve are they in terms of you know, data sharing and data privacy along that chain? Yeah, the regulation ones are interesting, um, especially around cryptocurrencies, of course. Now, this isn't my specialist subject, but cryptocurrencies for sure have got the attention of the regulators for obvious reasons. The, the type of implementations that I mostly work on are working within reasonably well-defined um, uh, data privacy business rules. Blockchain is not looking to overturn that in a lot of cases. What it's looking to doing is making that information sharing much more efficient. So each of those players in that supply chain, they can all be on a blockchain network, say, and you can create governance for that blockchain network that allows within the whatever regulatory environment that they work in, information, specific information only to be made available to specific players. Mm, I see. And you talked about food and we have, and, you know, TradeLens is, is um, uh, applying itself to logistics. Blue sky thinking, where else do you think you can see blockchain sort of seeping into our lives? Yeah, I, I think this is uh, this has been a really interesting journey over the last couple of years because in the if you think if you rewind to 2017 right at the middle of the blockchain hype, um, is that where it started? 2017? No, it was a bit before that. It was a very slow burn mm-hmm. for for a long time. 2010 was sort of the, the genesis, mm-hmm. um, and then of course it was it was under the radar for a long time, and then and then was there a Berners Lee to blockchain? I mean, is there a is there a founder of of blockchain technology? Uh, Satoshi uh, was the was the brainchild behind. He's a very okay. mysterious. Figure brainchild behind Bitcoin, right? Okay, um, but also the other thing to, to be very clear about blockchain: blockchain isn't a isn't a isn't a thing. It's a it's a combination of combined technologies that all existed before. The difference was they're put together in a in a really interesting way that allowed it to be an enabler for for, for, for other things. Um, so there's nothing really novel about the technology itself. The novelty is how that how different elements of technology are put together. 2017. Uh, it's very clear in my mind as being a very hyped up year in terms of um, ICOs, initial coin offerings. I mm-hmm. won't get into yeah, that. Yeah, this, yeah. Was the, this was a. I don't think we're allowed to talk about this. Actually, <laughs> interesting way of, of, of raising capital, fraudulent. A lot of it, well-meaning. Um, uh, Bitcoin, obviously, uh, was it 2017 hit twenty thousand dollars, so that fueled a lot of obviously interest in it, uh, and it was also when. Um, enterprise applications that I was involved in working with, kind of coming out of uh, out of the labs and into into real world applications. But the but the the issue there was because there was so much hype about it, 
where everyone looked, they were like, oh, we can apply blockchain to that. We can apply blockchain to that. We can apply blockchain to that. And the reality is, think of an Excel sheet. You know, can you write a letter with an Excel sheet? Yeah, absolutely you can. Totally. Can write a letter with that. Can you do uh, uh, accounting with an Excel sheet? Yes, yes, you can. Um, can you make your shopping list with uh, an Excel sheet? Yes, you can. You can you can apply it to lots of different things. Is it a good application? That's that's where you start to that's where the hype started to come out of the curve. And as we got uh, enterprises and different people started to experiment in the wild with blockchain, we suddenly found that the technology is the technology, which is great, has to work, has to be resilient, has to be scalable, etc. But there's an enormous organizational element to blockchain as well, because. Uh, blockchain is a team sport. You need to collaborate with others. You need to have something to share. Now, that collaboration in a lot of enterprise applications is very new. Um, we're not used to being on the same network as our competitors and trusting a technology or, or, or a collection of technologies to provide the governance in how we share potentially sensitive information. So there's a very, there's a very strong organizational inc- incumbency on, on making cautiousness around how blockchain is applied. We're starting, we're starting to, and I think we've got some great examples now of, of where blockchain is applied very, very well and where it has a, a lot of immediate value and where it's kind of a bit more fanciful and, and potentially something for, them, for the bottom. So all that concerns around competition presumably happens at a corporate level. Does it also happen at a, at a national level? Um, are, are countries sort of reluctant to um, you know, move systems onto blockchain platforms um, because of lack of control? That's a good question. I, I, d- I don't know. I'm trying to think of, if I've seen examples of that. I know there are some countries that are, that are, that are big advocates of it. I know we've done some work with... Somewhere um, like Sweden, presumably. With some, with, some, <laughs> with some industry bodies within nations. Italy, Norway comes to mind. We've just done a project with, um, with the Norwegians looking at an industry solution around their salmon production. So protecting their national asset their salmon industry by creating a greater provenance around the the quality of their salmon. So essentially allowing consumers to have a higher degree of trust that their salmon is coming from where it says on the where it says on the Interesting. So let, let's think about some bad, bad um, examples of, of use of blockchain. I like the example of writing your thank you letter through Excel. What have people been using blockchain for? <laughs> It's, you know what? There's a great website called deadcoins.com, which is worth a look. So um, there are applications of blockchain where there's cryptocurrency elements involved, issuing different coins, as it were. Mm-hmm. Deadcoins.com is a fantastic register of all the coins that have died. So being created, uh, marketed, and tried to create a, some sort of utility around something and have gone nowhere. A lot of them because of not a lot of support, a lot of them because they were outright fraud. So um, deadcoins.com is a, is, a great, is a great website. The message is that, is that it's a cautionary note about um, blockchain being an enabling technology and treating it as such. It's not a panacea, it's not a silver bullet. It is an enabler for other things. Um, and so the application have to be, has, to be, um, has to be rolled out in a way that's considerate of, those, of its limitations. Yeah, I see. Just staying on the on the cryptocurrencies, talked a lot in this podcast about the difficulties, uh, I suppose, in the monetary system with central banks, um, you know, printing, particularly in the West, printing an awful lot of money, interest rates being low, the sort of concerns around costs of capital. Do you think that cryptocurrencies are, um, are a solution? Yeah, potentially. 
And there's a there's a there's a tremendous amount of interest from central banks at the moment into mm-hmm. into how cryptocurrencies can give them a greater degree of control, not so much control, but visibility on the money supply and what's happening. Let's go back to TradeLens. Um, what's the sort of product life cycle of a of, of a new platform like this? We started with Maersk. Um, as our partners, and, and of course, having twenty percent of global shipping as your as your as your partner in the endeavor, um, obviously, was a, a good place to start. We were able then, just given that scale, both scale from the IBM side and, and the Merce side, to to build something that had immediate utility um, and get some runs on the board. Mm-hmm. It it enabled us to prove out the, the business case, the the value to the broader ecosystem. And then those proof points then were the enabler to get the broader ecosystem involved. So we've got over a hundred different ports onboarded, uh, so they're contributing data, um, and then a tremendous amount of clients that are that are then consuming data and uh, and 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 using it in in anger to optimize their. Do you have a sort of target a target port a number of ports that you want on the platform? No, as many as we can. Yeah, sure, because there's a lot of benefits to those ports. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because the the as a as a contributor of data onto the platform, the how we work with ports is in a data exchange model. It could be a value proposition for them as well. Yeah, I mean, if you if you I don't know, let's take Singapore's board versus Hong Kong's board. If Hong Kong's board doesn't sign up to the platform, but Singapore's does, presumably you'll start to see more utilization yeah absolutely because they uh, by virtue of the the arrangement they have with ports in terms of if they supply um, critical data to the platform they get to consume information about containers coming in and out their their visibility is extended now they're using that information to optimize their um, uh, their operations in a way that benefits their customers so it's exactly mm-hmm. exactly that case they yeah. can make their operations more slick differentiate them against other terminals so interesting it becomes a sort of competitive advantage unto itself for them um, it becomes a competitive advantage but also i think that it's really important to in in our application of blockchain we are um and the, the business problem that we're trying to solve is an industry is an industry friction so yes we will being first on the platform does give you an amount of differentiation um, but we're trying to raise the tide of the whole industry because that's a benefit to to everyone most most notably the people that, like you and me that consume you know 80 percent of the things that we consume every day and spend some time in a shipping container now if we can make that transit from wherever to uh, front doorstep with lower friction cheaper more efficient that's a benefit to mm-hmm. us as consumers. Yeah, I see. Interesting. And presumably there's an awful lot of data that you're collecting with a platform like this. 1.3 billion events is the last... 1.3 billion events over what time? Uh, that's over a, that's to date, so that's a year and a half. I see. So that, I, that in itself, I mean, people always say data is the new oil, and I'm always a bit sort of cynical of it, but that must be an asset unto itself. How does IBM use that data? IBM has a, and I think this is the right approach, has a reasonably conservative view on data. I believe this is the, the way to go in terms of data is valuable. Um, the, the owner of that data, that is a source of value. I don't think it's right that, um, that data is used by others um, for the monetization of, of other industries when that data belongs to somebody else. And, and those principles are present in a lot of IBM's work across the board, not just our blockchain work. 
So you own the data, you own the data. And we've created the governance and the permissioning around that information sharing around that. So we aggregating data and monetizing those insights. Yeah. Interesting. God, it's an interesting distinction. That's, a, that's an important to set out. If um, What advice would you have to a younger audience of this podcast, but what advice would you give to them? Perhaps you're leaving university, you want to get into this sort of technology, broader technology sector. What advice would you give to them? I think in blockchain, there's two places that you can play and really make a difference. The first is if you've got a, a technical head on your shoulders. So if you're if you're uber technical and you just love to code things, um, then there's a wealth of places you can go and fill your boots with some really cool technology. Where, where would you move to? Let's put it like that. Would you have to move to America, or would no, you? No, is there no, a, are there good no, centres in the UK, for yeah, example? Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. The tech scene is the tech scene is amazing in the UK. I don't think you need to move uh, move too far. I, I think there's so many opportunities in in blockchain and the spaces around blockchain in a technical sense. So working on new protocols and and and, and the core technology, the connectivity, interoperability is really really interesting. How do different networks talk to one another? And then the linkages to other novel technology and the stuff that's really interesting. AI, IoT, um, uh, those linkages are, are particularly interesting from a technology standpoint. On the other side, I think the other way to play in, in the blockchain spaces is, is organizationally, because that's the most, in my view, that's the most difficult problem. How do you get enterprises to all collaborate and cooperate in new ways for collective benefits? Sounds really good. And you sit down with anyone and everyone will say, yes, that's a good idea. But actually making that happen and codifying that into a way that organizations that people with reptilian brains are creating, that is not trivial. What's the skill set for that, do you think? Uh, patience. Yeah. Um, I th- it's Diplomacy. A, it's a, it, you know, and, and I think this expands out of the, the blockchain space and, and, and to a, into an area that I'm really passionate about is around platform business models. Because um, whether you use blockchain or not, that's just a technology choice. How can different players collaborate in new ways in this new digital economy? How can the sum of the parts be, be something so much more when we collaborate in new ways? But in the same way, still maintain our differentiation as organizations and as businesses. The skill set there is, yeah, it's all, it's partnerships and ecosystems. It's mm-hmm. understanding that you can compete and collaborate and potentially be each other's customers all at the same time. And uh, there's no such thing as a, a zero-sum game. Uh, it's all about finding ways to grow the pie. So interesting that one approach maybe is um, filter or go around looking at clunky industries and clunky companies that are generating, you know, have these sort of big silos. And I'm thinking perhaps about the insurance industry in the UK that generate very high returns that you know, are ripe for disruption. They are ripe for disruption, but then you've got to take them on the journey. And this is this is a transformational story. Though. Okay. Because uh, I don't know, insurance is a good example, but the, the, you know, clunky industries all over the show, the promise of this of a digital transformation sometimes is a is an enormous leap from where they are now. So while it's easy to sit in around a table and and show them what ten years looks like and what what a magical place it's going to be, um, the question always 
choices of well, what do I do tomorrow? My business needs to survive. I just I need to make a return on whatever investment I do. If it's 10 years away, that might be too far. I need something now. But how can I make those returns but still point in the right direction? Those sorts of questions are, are particularly difficult around very traditional, very, very clunky businesses. I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, if we go back to blockchain, why blockchain was was taken up by finance and, and banking so quickly mm. is because um, that industry is very, very familiar with close collaboration and exchanging information. Mm. They do that in a non-blockchain way all the time and they're forced to. So the jump to blockchain was easy for them because they already had that culture of collaboration, albeit across organizational silos. Take that then to logistics and shipping, which has never had a collaboration. I say never, but does it a disservice, but it not in the same, not in the same digital way as had that collaboration. It makes that journey uh, a bit a bit longer, but potentially more valuable. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And and maybe this is a hard question, but how do you think you could apply it to uh, law um, and the legal profession? Codifying uh, contracts, of, you know, uh, how do you, because the things that lawyers produce, um, again, not being a lawyer, will probably do them a disservice here, but the documents that lawyers produce are codifying rules of engagement. I obligate to you to do this under these circumstances. Now, I wonder if you could codify that in blockchain being a way where each of us could maintain a copy of those rules and have that codified and then have it self-executing and all these interesting it's ways. It's unbelievably exciting. That's it's very exciting. You know, imagine having a lawyer that codes. Um, I, you know, I don't think that's, that, that's too far off. Um, uh, so I think there's a lot of, but that's, but that's, you know, blockchain is just one part of the of a of a digital transformation that's happening to a lot of industries. You know, I'm a civil engineer by background, and and when I when I was trained as a civil engineer, we used to do, we used to sketch things out, and when we did our calculations, we did them we did them by hand. Nowadays, you have to be a, a pretty competent coder and a pretty familiar with the software packages in order to mm. be a basic civil engineer. So that digital transformation is happening is happening everywhere. Mm. Um, final question, Rick. If you're if you were trying to compare blockchain to another technology, past or present, what do you think would be the the extent to the sort of shift that it, uh, or the leap forward that it can produce? That's um, an excellent question. I mean, is it like the printing press? No, it's it's not. It's not like the printing press. Um, is it like double entry bookkeeping? Is it like double entry bookkeeping? I think it may be like double entry bookkeeping. Where double entry bookkeeping, the 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 leap there was it gave uh, it gave a merchant the ability to see have greater visibility into their stock flows into what basically what was selling good and what was selling poorly rather than just aggregating everything into I had five pounds at the start of the day and now I have twenty five pounds and that's it so. It was pretty simple double entry bookkeeping in terms of it was it wasn't using any technology that wasn't there before. It was just applying it was applying a new methodology. Mm-hmm. Now, blockchain potentially could be seen as something similar in that it is an enabling technology that allows you to have greater visibility and greater trust in information that you're looking at. 
That's the promise. But just like double entry bookkeeping, you don't apply it to everything. You apply it to some specific use cases. And most people don't even know it's happening, but are probably subject to it every day of the week. And I imagine blockchain will find a place for itself there where it's very much an infrastructure. It sits behind the curtains. Mm. You don't know that that you're interacting with a blockchain necessarily. Um, but you reap the benefits of the of the immutability and the finality of a of a distributed database. Um, that's the, the, that's probably the best analogy I can, I can come up with. Great, Clean. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett, and our guest this week, Rick Stockley. If you want any more information on any of the topics discussed by me or Rick in this episode, well, head to our website, waverton.co.uk and get in touch with us. If you've enjoyed the show, then please subscribe and like it and rate it. Maybe even tell your friends.